When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 98, and we are recording on September 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Howdy doody. And Amanda <laughs> saw Hillary Clinton last night. Oh my I God. did, I did. Um, Rebecca and I went to Washington, D.C. to see Hillary talk about her new book, um, she was hosted by Politics and Prose, which was awesome. The event was not in Politics and Prose because there were too many people because hashtag won the popular vote. So, yeah, it was great. It was great. I've, I've, I've been listening to the audiobook, um, so I'm, like, halfway through it already. Um, so, like, the stuff that she was talking about from the book I had already read, which was, a uh, you know, whatever. But still, it was nice. That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, no matter how you feel about her, it was still a historical thing. And, like, seeing a person who made history is, like, ooh, you know. History's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. Um, well, another thing not as exciting as Hillary Clinton, but another thing that is exciting is that, as you might have noticed, we have a lot of new podcasts coming out, mm-hmm. and I am super excited for you all to listen to Recommended, which launched this month in September and features two people, sometimes authors, sometimes gener- generally bookish people, talking about a book they love. Um, I've been doing some of the interviews so like I'm obviously very invested but I can (laughs) like even with that caveat like these they're so great um so we're gonna drop in a teaser for episode one and as of this week there will be three whole episodes for you to go listen to if you are interested to hear more so please enjoy this teaser I think that the great American novel for the 21st century has to be science fiction to some degree And I think that's because America is a science fictional country. I think it has been for a long time. And so you have to be able to talk about the future. You have to have a a rigorous vision of the future. If you're just sort of dwelling in the past and, you know, turning the same stone over in your hands, you know, again and again and again, I think you can do interesting work that way. But um, it's not the Green American novel. I am convinced that is the real great American novel for the 21st century. Um, I will not be satisfied until people are reading it in school and writing about it, because I think it has everything to say about America, um, its past, its future, and yeah, it's fantastic. How the show works is that you send us questions about what you should read next or what you should get for your niece for graduation or what your book club should read or how to fill the hole in your heart left by a particular kind of book. And we will do our best to find you books that will fit the bill. Uh, You can send us those questions via email to getbookedatbookriot.com. You can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you do have a time-sensitive question, please make sure to note 
when you need the response by in either the subject line of the email or the first line of the form. We do our best, but sometimes it's hard if it's buried like a paragraph in. Um, if we are not going to get to your question on air by the time it comes out, we will possibly email you an answer, so keep an eye on your inboxes. Um, and do we have some feedback from last week's questions? We do. So last week I was on vacation and Eric Smith, uh, who's co-hosting our new YA podcast, was guesting. And there was a question um, from a listener asking for reading recommendations for a 12-year-old reluctant reader who was also a Harry Potter fan. Um, so Jen and Eric answered that question. And then we had a, a listener submit another suggestion for Furthermore by Tahara Mafi, um, which she says it is like Diagon Alley on cocaine. <laughs> Which is such a hilarious and apt, actually, uh, kind of description. I've read, furthermore, um, by Tara Mafi, and I agree. It's a lot of fun. It's a great adventure. Uh, very magical and, and perfectly appropriate for somebody who really likes Harry Potter. Um, so thanks so much for submitting your um, recommendation, whoever that was, whose name I didn't write down. I'm so sorry. I'm pretty sure it was somebody from The Insiders because <laughs> they're so great at this. This is like a, it's like every episode of the game for that they play, and it's just they're really great at it because mm -hmm. book people are the best. All right, so I'm going to read our first question, and then we'll do our first sponsor, and away we shall go. Uh, this question is from Nia, who says, I'm getting married in November after a short engagement, but I've already noticed that my fiancé and my mutual male friends have seemingly gone from referring to me by my name to calling me his bird or his woman, <laughs> F that S. Yeah, that's, that is no bueno. Um, any recommendations about books maintaining your identity as a real human being after marriage? As a wise woman told me recently, the only downside to getting married is that you become someone's wife. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Lulls forever. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we're going to do our first sponsor before we get to answering that question. <laughs> um, so our first sponsor is Girls Made of Snow and Glass. This is by Melissa Barsha-Deust, and it's from Flatiron Books. And if this little blurb doesn't get you, I just don't even know. So it's basically a feminist fantasy retelling of the Snow White fairy tale through the lens of Frozen meets the Bloody Chamber. By Angela Carter, which is amazing. That's a lot of excellent things. All I know all of those things like together. Just yes, and so this is a debut. Um, and obviously, as one can imagine from a feminist reinterpretation of Snow White, it's about magic and uh, complex mother-daughter relationships and relationships between women. So it tells both the backstory of Mina, who is the stepmother character, who has a literal heart made of glass, and her stepdaughter. Lynette, who has a complicated relationship with her father um, and doesn't really know what sort of person she wants to be. And so she sort of aspires to be this like very fierce and powerful person. She models herself after her stepmother. But then if, as anyone who's familiar with the story of Snow White, you can guess how that starts to go. <laughs> so if you're into fantasy, feminist interpretations of pretty much anything, or Angela Carter, which I'm into all of those things, go check that out. That's Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Barshadust. All right, so this question, look. <laughs> yeah. Can Just, you can you sit your dudes down and have a chat with them? Yeah, this is, first, we have books for you, but, like, say a thing. That, yeah. that's unacceptable. No. Just, just you're, no. You're always a person. Yeah. And, and people, even in, in joking, like, that's a... Right. No. Mm -hmm. Just no. Yeah. So the thing that I picked for you is Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit, which is a collection of essays. It's short, um, 
And the, t- the titular essay, Men Explain Things to Me, you've probably seen floating around. It's been on the internet for like a decade. It's where we get the term mansplaining. But um, I'm recommending this because it is very much so about the way men talk to and about women, which seems to be the big problem here. And how so often when we confront them with like what you just said is not, is not funny, it's not, that's not acceptable, what you're saying is sexist, whatever, um, then often women are the ones who are, you know, well, you're a killjoy, you're overreacting, you're, you know, whatever, it's all, it's deflected. Um, so I think that reading this maybe in preparation for that conversation would be uh, helpful because she has a lot of, um, not ammunition, retorts, rebuttals, like it'll help you think maybe more about what exactly about them saying those things to you instead of calling you by your name is not okay. And maybe give you some language or vocabulary um, so that you can sit down and, and tell your friends, like, you know, that's, um, unacceptable. You're objectifying me, essentially. Um, and then, of course, the rest of the book uh, goes into how more, 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 not more serious, but because that is symptomatic of a very serious problem, but um, how the way that men talk to and about women often leads to things like physical violence and stuff like that. So um, just in case you're start, you're feeling like this is a little thing that maybe I shouldn't be complaining about or whatever, which is a thing that I notice women do a lot uh, with completely justifiable complaints. Um, yeah, I think this will be helpful on a lot of levels. So that's Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit. I picked When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams, which we have not recommended yet this year. I double-checked. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> we made it all the way to September, somehow. Um, but it, it's not like a straightforward, like, okay, you're married, now here's what to do. It's much more spe- sort of meditations, and like some of them are almost poems, but it's 54 little pieces, um, sort of essays, about having a voice as a woman, which is part of, you know, what you're talking about here. Um, and, uh, and, and not only is Terry Tempest Williams married and, and writing a little bit about that, but she's also looking back on her mother. When her mother died, uh, she left Terry all of her journals. And when Terry was the same age as her mother upon the day, like at the year of her mother's death, um, she opened the journals to find them completely blank. So she's like, why... Why, first of all, why does she have so many blank journals? Like, why do you have more than one blank journal? Um, Like, years worth of blank journals. And then why isn't there anything in them? And, like, what does it mean to be a woman in a relationship? What does it mean to be a woman in the world? What does it mean to, like, have a voice? And how do you choose to express that voice? Um, This book, I mean, it's it's made the rounds. You've probably heard us mention it before. It'll give you a lot of feelings. But it's also sort of, like, deeply... For me, it was deeply validating to see, not that I have the same problems or situations as Terry Tempest-Williams, but like it was deeply validating for her to touch on some of these core questions about women and voice and like to be like, okay, right, this is a thing that affects all of us. It's not just me. And like, here's how she's thinking about it. And it did help with sort of an emotional language for me in my own life. So that is When Women Were Birds, uh, 54 Variations on Voice by Terry Tempest-Williams. All right, question two is from Ellen, who says, I'm going to Valencia, Spain this fall to visit a friend, and I know very little about the region. My favorite way to get to know a city is through historical fiction. Do you have any recommendations for historical fiction set in or near Valencia? Okay, I went with The Perfume Garden by Kate Lord Brown, which is historical fiction set in Valencia, as requested, um, that goes back and forth between kind of present, like modern day, and then the 1930s during the Spanish Civil War. So the main character's name is Emma. She's a perfumer, 
perf- perfumer, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. like the, the yeah. person who perfumes, who makes Indeed. perfume. Um, her mother has recently died and left her this like crumbling villa in Valencia um, and a box of letters. And so Emma decides she's going to, you know, her life is a little bit um, not going so well. She lives in London and um, she's decided she's going to go stay in Valencia for a while in this house and restore it. You know, it's kind of dilapidated, so she's going to restore it to how it used to be. And then also it has a beautiful garden and there's a lot of um, exotic scents and stuff in Valencia that Emma feels like she can, you know, kind of go there, start over, use the garden uh, to create some new perfumes and and fix her life a little bit. Um, Meanwhile, her grandmother, whose name is Freya, and her uncle Charles are like, don't want her to do that. Like, they don't want her to go to Spain. They don't want her to go stay in this house. They're afraid of what she's going to find. And so you're bouncing back and forth between that situation right now. And of course, Emma, like, meets a nice Spaniard and that kind of thing. Um, And the past during the 30s when Freya, her grandmother, was a nurse during the Civil War and her uncle was, um, if I remember right, he was like a journalist who fought for the Republicans. Um, And the like secrets that they buried um, and what they did and what happened during the civil war in that area. And, you know, it's really interesting because I I went to Spain earlier this year. I went to Madrid and like the the civil war, like no one talks about it. It's kind of weird. Like there are, like I went to the museum of Madrid and it's just like not mentioned, which is just bonkers. And it, I don't know. It's just like a, it's still very touchy kind of subject. So um, I picked this specifically because it goes into the experience of living um, during a time period that like people kind of still don't really want to remember. So that's the perfume garden by Kate Lord Brown. I am recommending you a medieval epic poem because yes. I yes. do what I want. <laughs> and it's a great movie too. Oh, is movie. it a movie? Yeah, Charlton Heston plays him. Yes. And Sophia Loren is his wife. It's oh amazing. my goodness. Okay, I should say what I'm recommending before we go off into raptures about it. I'm recommending the poem of the Cid by Anonymous. Um, it was written in, I believe, the 11th century. No, it's about an 11th century military commander called El Cid um, who But it's like a medieval poem about him going off and like conquering cities, including Valencia, and having battles, and you know, like it's 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 medieval epic poetry, like (laughs) all of the things bound up in that. But it's also one of the sort of founding works of literature in Spain, Um, and it's definitely like it's it's sort of. it's 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 shaped a lot of you know literature from 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 then on, um, and it's you know it's kind of like there's a bunch of different translations, so you can get some that are more modern verse or some that are more like troubadour style, which is sort of the way it was written. Um, and like you know the figure of El Cid is still like referenced in popular ballad traditions. Um, so it's it's like it's like one of those you know. I, it's like reading La Morte Arthur, like which I also did because I'm because that's who I am. Um, <laughs> like you, you go back and you can see, you know, sort of the start of some of these literary traditions, and I just think that's super cool. And also, some of it does take place in Valencia, so there's that. Um, that's how I'm I'm justifying this pick to you. And apparently, there's a movie. Like who I now I immediately have to go watch that. It um, is so great. Charlton yeah. Heston as this like medieval knight in Spain is like yes. so what? Yeah, Sophia right. Loren is everything for all time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like you know, it's like it's very like you know what you would expect. Like it's a lot of battles and like you know, 
the Spanish versus the Islamic inhabitants of Spain, and there's, you know, all kinds of wacky, terrible things. Um, but I think it's really interesting to go back and to look at that stuff. So it, it might give you a feel for, for historical Spain. So that's the poem of the Cid by Anonymous. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) All right, our next question is from Rachel, who says, I am in the process of ending a relationship of almost 20 years, and I'm trying to adjust to the idea of living on my own for the first time since my early 20s. I just turned 40. I'm looking for books that might help me sort out my feelings about this process. Fiction or nonfiction is fine. I already have All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg on my TBR pile. I don't have kids and don't want them, but stories that include kids are okay, as long as the main focus is on the adult. All right, I'm just going to keep talking. So I picked Single Carefree Mellow by Katherine Heine, which is a really hilarious short story collection that also has a lot of heart. Um, It is about, as you might guess, a bunch of single women, um, some of whom are making very bad relationship choices. (laughs) There's affairs, there's affairs at work, there's affairs with married men, like there's all kinds of, there's like unrequited crushes on roommates, there's all kinds of, of not so great love decisions. But what, um, what they all, what all these stories, the through line is that, these women are all just trying to navigate their emotional world. And, like, that's not always pretty, and we don't always do it in the smart way. But with the humor that she injects into these stories, it becomes, like, very relatable and affirming. You're like, yep, I have made that stupid mistake, or, oh, boy, at least I haven't made that one. Uh, And I just, every time I think about the stories, I start laughing all over again. Some of them are very dirty, FYI, (laughs) um, which is also delightful. And I don't think... There might be a kid or two in here, but I don't really think there are. Um, and I also think it's a nice sort of companion piece, now that I think about it, to to Jamie Attenberg's All Grown Up, because a lot of these women are older, and, like, what does it mean to be an older woman who is in relationships that are perhaps not super stable or super traditional? Uh, so that's Single Carefree Mellow by Katherine Heine. Okay, I picked a book that I read that I found very helpful um, during my divorce, and that is Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Milton. And this is a memoir of, uh, you know, Glennon Doyle Milton, who had three kids, she has three kids, and what she thought was a pretty happy marriage, and she was a writer, and she was very successful, and all that. Um, And then her husband kind of revealed to her that he had been cheating on her several times over the basically like entire course of their uh, marriage. And Glennon herself is a recovered alcoholic and bulimic, a recovering alcoholic and bulimic. Um, And so the memoir is partially about her recovery process and then also about how she navigated realizing that like her marriage was essentially a lie and the successful life that she thought she had built um, was not what she thought it was. If you follow Glenn, this was like an Oprah pick, and so she was very much in the public eye for the past few years. And if you follow her, then you know that she has since divorced that man and is now married to Abby Wambach, who is the Olympic soccer player. And they're adorable, and I encourage you to go follow them on Instagram. Um, But she does a lot of, like, really wrestling with the identity stuff that you can deal with uh, after the end of a really long relationship like that. Like, who am I without him or her? Or, you know, how do I change my, you know, long-term life plans that I made with this person who's no longer in my life and all of those kinds of really big, deep, soul-searching, very painful kind of questions that you're thinking about. Um, She does have kids and she does talk a little bit about like 
are my kids going to be okay if I leave him? And like, what does that mean for my children? But the focus is definitely her and her struggles and her um, making decisions about what she wants to do with her marriage or not do. So that's Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Milton, who is adorable. Okay. <laughs> she, they're so cute. Like, they're just the best. I they are. I, I co-sign, co-sign. Also, Abby Wambach, like, I need her. This is related to nothing, but I need her workout regimen. Mm. Like, her arms are just so, she looks like she's like like Jane female Thor, you know? Right, that's, right. That's, I need her to be cast in that movie. Okay. Um, so our next sponsor is us. Yay. Um, it's Lit Chat, which is this super awesome fun kind of card game that we've created with abrams it's a deck of 50 cards and we made this because like the only thing that book people like to do more than read books or maybe as much as read books is like talk about reading books and the reading life and all that so every uh, each uh, card which are die cut to look like book covers and come in this really cute little portable slipcase um has a question that you read aloud to the people that you're with and then everybody answers there's a follow-up question on the cards um and then when you know you can go and pick a new one um every card falls into one of four categories there's the reader's way which is like questions about your reading habits and your reading life and all of that uh memoirs of a book lover which is like questions about your book related memories and milestones uh op-ed questions which are about you know your opinions your favorites your least favorites and stuff like that and then kind of choose your own adventure questions that asks you to choose books and some of your favorite characters and work them into hypothetical situations in your life um i played this with my book club a couple two weeks ago and it was so much fun and we got into like this really in-depth discussion about like harry potter and it's what's going to make it last forever. And it's just, it was like a nice addition. Um, so I have pulled two cards yes. at random and I'm we ready. are going to do them right now. So Jen, let's mm. see. What's question one? Uh, what are you reading right now? And based on how far you are, would you recommend it? Um, that is super easy. I started <laughs> on the train this weekend, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward, which is obviously, I am going to think it's amazing. Oh, but, so I'm only like, I want to say 50 pages in because I had to put it down to pay, read something else for work, but it takes place in the same place, like city, town, I can't remember which it, I think it's more of a town, in Mississippi, um, Bois Sauvage, uh, that Salvage the Bones takes place in. Mm. So, and I didn't know that when I picked it up. I mean, I've been waiting for her to write another fiction novel for, since I read Salvage the Bones, and her memoir is amazing, obviously, but I was so ready for this novel, and the voice in it is so strong, the language is so beautiful, and then to go back to a place that I already feel like I know from her perspective a little bit is just a delight so yes would recommend <laughs> what about um, you so what am i reading right now and what i recommend it okay um well i just finished blood of the dawn which is by claudia salazar jimenez and is translated by elizabeth Breyer, um which is a really short novel about the uh a time of in peruvian history in the 80s during the, what was called the shining path Insurgency, mm -hmm. which was just like, I mean, essentially a militaristic communist revolution uh, that was in the mountains um, of Peru. And the book tells that story from the point of view of an indigenous woman, uh, a woman who leaves her husband to join the Communist Party and is part of the military insurgency. Um, and then a woman who is a photojournalist who like goes into the mountains to record what's happening there. And so her point, like the point of the book is very much to take a very masculine tale. Like we think about these, you know, armed revolutions as very doodly and like bro heavy. And she takes that and tells it from the point of view of women and like what um, effect 
that sort of violence and political upheaval has on women who are both participating and victims of that mm. um, kind of thing. So it was really, really fascinating. Would I recommend it? Um, yes. I didn't know anything about this time period in Peruvian history. I mean, let's be frank. I don't know anything about Peruvian history of any time period. Um, so it was very enlightening. And, uh, you know, a feminist um, interpretation of history is always something I'm here for. But it is, as one would expect, extremely violent and has a lot of sexual violence. Um, so... I would recommend it if that's a thing that you can handle. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's see. The second card. What currently popular book or series will be read for generations to come? And what makes you think so? I mean, aside from Harry Potter, right? Like, Harry Potter is the obvious one. I was thinking about I was thinking about the Alana books by Tamara Pierce because we're doing this big Tortal reread in the Insiders um, that's gonna like literally go through January because there's so many books in that universe and it's interesting because the original four are actually probably not my favorites, but they're the ones that I read as a kid and was obsessed with. And they came out in the 90s, so I don't know if that is like count as current enough. But I do feel like those are going to stick around just forever. Because they are, like, it's, you know, if you don't know, they're about a young girl who has a twin brother in, like, a sort of medieval fantasy setting. And um, she wants to be a knight, but they don't let girls go to night school. So they they switch places. He wants to be, a, a, like, a mage. Um, so he goes off to the convent where they also teach magic, where she was supposed to go. And she disguises herself a, as a boy and, like, goes to night school. Um, and it was such... Like, it was singular in my reading experience when I read it when I was, like, 11 or 12. And I feel like they could continue being that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking um, the the Lunar Chronicles. Oh, you think so? Around. Yeah. I, I went back and forth about this one. Um, the first book is Cinder. For those of you mm-hmm. who don't know, it's a um, science fiction retelling of the Cinderella story set in China, where Cinderella is a cyborg um and but it really kicked off this fairy tale retelling thing i mean i know people were already doing it beforehand Mm -hmm. but i think it really popularized it and so every time there's like a new post online it's like fairy tale retellings to read if you read unbound or whatever new fairy tale retelling is it's cinder is always included because it was one of the first ones so it just like won't go away which is great because i loved it Mm. um so i think it'll be around for a while interesting all right so yeah go check out lit chat you can go to bookriot.com slash lit chat and pre-order your set and it's lots of fun. All right. It is super cute. I love the little box that it came in, I will say. I, like, keep it out on my bookshelf like a dork. (laughs) Whatever. Excellent. That book life. All right, question four is from Mallory and Jessica, who says, we are looking for book recommendations for our coworker and friend, Emily. Her birthday is on October 11th, and she's a huge fan of your show. Um, She loves to read pretty much everything and anything. We would like to get her a book or two for her birthday. She really enjoys horror, true crime, mystery, and literary classics. Some books she has recently read and enjoyed are Big Little Lies, Insomnia by Stephen King, and The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. Um, The three of us are planning to read Hex by Thomas Old Hoovelt, pre-recommendation from a previous episode. Anything you can recommend would be great. Okay, I'm just keep going. Um, I picked... The Moth Diaries by Rachel Klein, because it is kind of a combination of horror and mystery, and it's a little bit of a classic, I think, of uh, young adult literature. So I think this will hit a lot of um, 
targets that she seems to like. Uh, so when was it published? Originally published in, oh, 2002. Well, it's not as old as I thought it was. I thought it was in the 90s, but whatever. Good enough. Um, so it takes place in a boarding school, and it's being told from the, the diary of a 16-year-old girl. And her best friend's name is Lucy. She's her roommate in this boarding school. And they have started this year like requesting each other as roommates, and they're really excited about spending time together or whatever. Uh, but then Lucy makes a new friend, a disturbing like pale, kind of creepy, weird new girl in school. Her name is Ernessa. Um, and as the book progresses, Lucy becomes more and more obsessed with Ernessa, and the narrator becomes more and more obsessed with both of them. Uh, and then the big question that you're answering, you realize as the book continues, is like, oh, wait, is she a vampire? Like, <laughs> is Ernessa a vampire who is sucking the lifeblood out of Lucy? <laughs> or is this narrator completely hallucinating this entire situation. So it's very, if you like unreliable narrators, um, like retellings of Dracula with teenage girls, which is awesome, then this is certainly something that I think she'll enjoy. It's really creepy and a really, really great um, gift, I think, for somebody with an October birthday, like that kind of fall, spooky, sort of ominous, gothic kind of tone. So that's The Moth Diaries by Rachel Klein. I will co-sign that. That book made me feel like I was having trouble breathing. It was so claustrophobic yes, like, in certain oh, sections. It's like I was oppressive. just like, oh, um, <laughs> it's really intense. Okay, but before I give my pick, I have a question. If she listens to the show, she's going to know. Yeah, I thought about I, that. But. I was like, well, I guess it's fine. Maybe the names have been changed to protect the innocent. I don't know. Anyway, hopefully this does not backfire on you guys. Um, but my pick for you is Fen by Daisy Johnson, which is a pretty pretty recent book came out for the first time in 2016 and it is a collection of short stories that made me like put it the book down and back away slowly um it is very dark it is very creepy and it's very sort of surreal it's got that fabulism feel to it where you're in the real world but like things are just not behaving the way real world things behave. Um, there's like one where the house, the house that this, the main character's in is like kind of eating people. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like getting nervous uh, <laughs> just thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's super creepy and really well done, I thought, um, if you like that kind of thing. It is, it is certainly, I had to read it during the daytime with the lights on because I am a wimp, um, but it sounds like you guys are into that sort of thing. It's also very lady-focused, which I always appreciate in my horror. So that, again, is Fen by Daisy Johnson. Okay, our next question is from Jane, who says, I'm looking for some kind of history, memoir, slash biography, sociological study, really anything that would be helpful in verbal combat with someone who is essentially the devil's advocate in a comment section, but believes in what he's saying. I know I won't change his mind, but I'd like to have history and facts under my belt to help verbally kick his ass and destroy <laughs> him. This MRA dude in a previous class uh, considered Janie sticking up for herself in their eyes for watching God, quote-unquote, terribly emasculating for her husband. Uh, he's also so sad by our professor criticizing our country and most of our class for agreeing with her because apparently that's worse than Nazis. Um, boy, this guy sounds like a gem. Mm. Uh, I own but still need to read They Can't Kill Us All, Rest in Power, and Warriors Don't Cry. I have read 12 Years a Slave, the March trilogy Between the World and Me, and I'm anticipating We Were Eight Years in Power. Uh, I think a better tactic would be to learn about the history of fascism and the constant fight for social justice. Any help 
is much appreciated. Um, okay. Woo! Uh, so I picked The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander for you, which is not a light read, but it is really compelling, really educating, really mind-blowing nonfiction if you don't know much about the prison industrial complex and specifically the way that it targets uh, the African-American community in the United States. Um, there are, it's just like an insane percentage of young black men locked up uh, behind bars or labeled felons for life. Um, and Alexander, basically her argument is that like we haven't ended racial case, we've just redesigned it. Um, and she goes into sort of the the economic and social and, you know, cultural aspects of the prison system, how people are profiting from it, um, the way the laws are designed to like go harsher on people of color. Um, there's tons of statistics and facts. It's a really, I mean, it is, it is, Again, obviously not cheerful because this is a really heavy subject, but I think it definitely will give you ammunition of the type that you're looking for because it, like, literally our entire justice system is set up to penalize people who are not white um, and then to profit off of them. Super, super not great. And I think a lot of people have not read much about this or haven't thought much about it because, you know, when you see prison dramas like Orange is the New Black, like... You see, you see the people, and you can feel for the people, but you don't much think about the system necessarily, um, and that's what this book is about. So that is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Okay, I'm sorry you're having to deal with a Nazi sympathizer in your class. That sucks. Um, I picked White Rage by Carol Anderson, which I'm listening to on audiobook right now. And the reason I picked this is because it will both provide the historical context and data that you are looking for, um, but it will also explain why this dude is awful a lot, um, a lot, <laughs> which Carol Anderson, that certainly was not her responsibility, but she, she kind of nails it. So um, I don't know if, if you remember her op-ed about this topic, but um, right after Ferguson happened, there was a lot of... Um, pundits talking about quote-unquote black rage and how the protests in Ferguson were an example of black rage and all of that. And Carol Anderson wrote this op-ed in the Washington Post that was like, actually, what's happening here is white rage. Like, white rage got us to the point where we're having to march in the streets in defense of our lives against police brutality. And um, no one ever talks about the concept of white rage. And so that's what this book is about. And she goes all the way back to 1865 and the passage of the 13th Amendment and talks about how every advancement uh, in the lives of African Americans have been met with um, judicial and legislative opposition from white people who are angry about it since slavery ended ostensibly until now. Um, and not ending with, but you know, the book covers up to how the Voting Rights Act was rolled back with the most recent Supreme Court decision. Um, so if you wanted to put his particular brand of racial aggression and anger into context, then I think that um, this book will be helpful in in understanding him as much as you, you know, feel comfortable understanding him, but will also give you um, all of these examples of like, well, civil rights have made progress, but here's how people like you have fought to roll back those advancements. Um, so it's it'll be helpful on two fronts, I think. So that's White Rage by Carol Anderson. Good luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, Godspeed. Um <laughs> 
All right. Our third sponsor for the show is, you're going to be excited about this because it's a free audiobook. Uh, it's Brain Rules for Aging Well by John Medina, um, sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks and Pear Press. It is just newly released in audiobook, and uh, John Medina is the New York Times bestselling author of Brain Rules, which you might have heard of. The hardcover is coming out October 3rd, but you can get the audiobook now, um, and it shares how you can make the most of the later years in life through really interesting stories about how to remain vital, happy, and sharp. Um, he's got a sense of humor. He narrates the book. It's narrated with a sense of humor. Um, and there's just like, you know, it's breathing life into science and, um, and giving you sort of a personalized view. So it has, uh, he in himself is a developmental molecular biologist, but that's a lot of words. Um, and Ben is super good at making science accessible without dumbing it down. So you'll get actual facts and interesting things, but it remains accessible. And uh, the audiobook is free for a limited time, so you definitely want to go check it out. Um, it is available from Libro FM, and we will have a link in the show notes. This is something I think about a lot because I am already a forgetful person, and I like, I really. I'm always on the lookout for, like, techniques to keep your brain sharp. Like, even though I'm in my 30s, I'm just like, if I'm this forgetful now, what will it look like 30 years from now? So, I don't know. This is a topic that I, I'm always interested in hearing about. So, again, that's Brain Rules for Aging Well by John Medina. It's a free audiobook from Libro FM. Go and check it out. Okay. Oh, it's your turn. <laughs> All right. Question six is from Tina, who says... One of my best friends has been married for just over a year and has recently found out that her husband wants a divorce. I really want to send her a book to help distract her. Any recommendations? She likes thrillers and YA fantasy. Bonus points if there is a strong feminist and or life will go on message. Okay. Um, I picked Gather the Daughters by Jenny Melamed, which um, I need to give a trigger warning for basically everything. Sexual violence mostly. Um, child abuse. So this is like the kind of the Handmaid's Tale meets the giver with more feminism, if that's possible. <laughs> more feminism than The Handmaid's Tale. Um, so it's about a cult. It's told from the perspective of four girls. Um, and they live on an island off the coast. What is assumed to be kind of the coast of the U.S. It seems like it's in the northeast somewhere, but you can't really tell. You're, you're not really um, given more information. Um, and it's 10 men and their families colonized this island and have lived there for hundreds of years uh, with their families. And they have built a society of very oppressive religious patriarchy um, based on like ancestor worship. Um, there's a very strict rationing of knowledge and only the, a class uh, called the wanderers, which are chosen men are allowed to leave the island and go into what they call the wastelands, which is basically the mainland of the U.S., uh, where they, like, scavenge for supplies and stuff like that. Um, and they bring back stuff they find, wood, metal, books sometimes that none of the people are allowed to read. Um, the, the girls in this society are wives in training, so they are not allowed um, to gain any knowledge outside of how to take care of a house. Um, uh, when they hit puberty, they have what's called the summer of fruition, which is uh, a ritualistic uh, summer of rape, basically, by the older men until the older men find one that they like to make their Gross. wives. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. And then once they become wives, very young, 13 or 14, they have two children. Once they have two children, they die. Like, that's you've served your usefulness. Um, and so that's the setup. 
the four girls that you're reading from this story told from one of them is um has is starving herself so that she won't get her period and will won't have to experience the summer fruition. She's 17 and she leads this like Lord of the Flies style revolt of these daughters. Um they live on a beach, they refuse to talk to their parents, like they refuse to go through with the summer fruition, they won't they won't get married. And it's what happens to these girls once they decide that they're no longer going to be willing participants um in what's happening. Uh if you well, I don't want to talk about how it compares to The Giver because there's some spoiler stuff there. But the reason why I picked this, I mean, it's obviously very intense and kind of horrifying uh, in a lot of ways, but it's so angry. It's so angry. And it's also really hopeful, which I know the description does not sound hopeful. Um, but, you know, when I was first getting a divorce, I was I was mad. <laughs> and I was the one who left, but it was still very much like the whole situation was infuriating. I was mad at the way people were reacting to me, um, you know, women who may, who are getting a divorce or treated completely differently than the way men are. There's a lot of things about the process that are probably, that's probably going to make your friend just angry. Um, and the message of this book is that the way that women are treated specifically by men, but by society in general is terrible, but there is hope at the end of it. And there are things that, that women can do especially um, via their friendships with other women to find strength to continue in the face of all of these things. Um, so I know that like, you know, ritualistic prepubescent gang rape is not the same thing as getting a divorce, obviously. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's a metaphor, you know, <laughs> as most dystopias are. Um, but it's such a page turner. Like I, I flew through it. If you can, if you have the stomach to handle the society that she's written, then you'll get through it really, really fast. And the ending is was just great. Um, so yeah, good luck with that. That's Gather the Daughters by Jenny Malamed. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> it's like hard to follow that. I, I picked The Jin Falls in Love, which is a short story collection edited by Mavesh Murad and Jared Shurin. And it has... A ton of amazing authors contributing stories to it. Um, Neil Gaiman is in there, Amal El-Motar, uh, Camila Shamsi, Maria Devana Headley, Nnedi Okorafor. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a bananas lineup. Um, really, really good. But the reason I picked it for this question in particular is because, as you might guess from the title, it's, it's a little bit about love, but it's not actually all, like, romantic love stories. Um, and some of the most affecting stories that have really stuck with me since reading it are about love that is... Like, love that's not necessarily requited or even possible. Um, love in family situations that are really difficult. Love in, like, dystopian futures where, you know, life is just incredibly hard. Love among your community. Like, it really does touch on a lot of different manifestations of love, which I find excellent for reminding us that, like, Love is not just what you see in romantic comedies. Like, love as a concept is so much more than sort of the Valentine's Day, you know, prepackaged system that we, that it gets boiled down to a lot of the time um, in popular culture. And so, and, and like, I love a good romantic comedy, but when you're hurting, it sometimes is not the thing that you need. Um, and this collection reminds me that there's all different kinds of love and they look all different ways and some of them are happy and some of them are not, but like, 
it's all feelings and it's like okay to have the feelings and like look at also this beautiful like magical these different magical stories like it's so engrossing um the world building in each story is so wonderful like I really loved every story in this collection and that doesn't always happen in a collection like this you know you like some of course you like some better than other but I really I did love the whole thing so that's the Jim Falls in Love and other stories. Um, there, in the first edition, there is a printing issue with the opening poem. Um, they did the Arabic wrong, which is a sad, sad story. Um, but I have heard that they have fixed it in later printings. So if you can get not a first printing, that would be more better. Um, mm-hmm. But just an, but just in, just a heads up. Um, but again, yeah, a really fantastic collection. Okay. Oh, it's me. So our next question is from Radhika, who says, I'm looking for some good witch-slash-female-awesome-themed books to get in the mood for fall and Halloween. I loved The Discovery of Witches, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, and The Night Circus. I'd prefer something in the fantasy realm, but I'm really open to anything I can drink with some hot apple cider. Oh, that sounds so good. Uh, Amanda, you go. What a great question. I know. (laughs) I love it. I love it. it. All right. um, I picked Brimstone by Sherry Priest, which I think is her newest book. Um, But this takes place in the 20s, in 1920, right after the end of the First World War in Florida. And it's told in alternating perspectives, uh, Alice and Tomas. Alice is a clairvoyant who has left her home in Norfolk, Virginia, and moved to a community of other clairvoyants or spiritualists uh, in Florida, where she is going to, you know, hone her craft. And she's like a legit, like she's a witch. Like her family has been burned at the stake kind of a witch. She can tell, she has visions, she can communicate with the dead, um, she can read objects, you know, tea leaves and stuff like that. Um, So she's like the real deal. Tomas is a veteran of the First World War who um, was, uh, what do you call him? A, I don't know if they had a name for it, but he was an operator of a flamethrower. Like that was his job in the, in the First World War. Um, so he has come home with a lot of trauma from that and guilt about what he had to do on the battlefield. Um, he came home from war to find out that his wife had died in the influenza epidemic that swept the world um, and killed like millions of people on the tail end of the war. So he is a tailor and has his business and a couple of friends and neighbors who care about him. But, you know, his wife is gone and he's having these horrible nightmares and stuff like that. But the the weird thing is that weird, like, fires are occurring around him. Like, he has dreams about fires, um, and then he'll wake up and there's a fire in his sink for no reason. Like, there's nothing in it to be on fire, but there's a fire. Uh, The fires get progressively worse to where his neighbor's house burns down, um, and he has started to see the face of his wife in the soot and, like, her handprints and messages written in it. And so he just does not know what to do with himself. Um, He thinks maybe it's some form of PTSD. Of course, he uses different words for it because that wasn't a thing that they had a word for back then. Um, And so he hears about Alice and this community of clairvoyants in Florida, and he thinks, maybe I can get her to help me talk to my wife, um, who is dead. And, like, he's afraid that she's in hell, and that's why she's using fire to communicate with him. And so he's asking, he asks Alice to help. um, And in that connection, they realize that they're both dealing with, like, a much greater kind of evil than um, either of them were expecting to deal with. Alice is a great character. She's, like, very plucky, like a a plucky flapper kind of. You know, it's prohibition. (laughs) and, um, And she, like, suffers no nonsense except... There's a lot of nonsense because she's a clairvoyant and like she 
can talk to cats, you know, like there's a lot of like, what? There are tons of really, really funny um, and entertaining side characters in this book, which you need because it's like a very heavy kind of topic, but the side characters are great. So um, it's fantasy. It's very witchy and has that um, kind of fall thing going on. So that's Brimstone by Sherry Priest. All right. I picked Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor, which I am reading right now in preparation for the sequel coming out, Akata Warrior, which I believe is a October. Um, And the first one follows a young girl named Sunny. She's 12. um, And she lives in Nigeria, but she was born in New York. So she's she's, she's Nigerian. Both of her parents are Nigerian, but she lived in America a lot of her life. So she feels sort of on the outskirts. Um, And in fact, that's part of the title. Akata is like actually like a very rude word for an American black person in Africa. Um, And she's also an albino um, and is incredibly sensitive to the sun. So this is all like a lot for her. Um, And she's just trying to be a girl. She wants to play football. She wants to, football meaning like soccer, but it's, you know, (laughs) not the United States. Everybody else calls it football. Um, And not get bullied at school because of course that's happening to her. Um, And she makes some new friends, uh, Orlu and Chi Chi, who help her discover that she actually has magical powers and is a sort of, you know, surprise addition to this group of people called the Leopard People, where um, they some of them are born into magical families, some of them are sort of from the outside. It's very like Harry Potter in that, like, you know, pure, pure bloods and muggles and the whole nine yards, um, except they're called different things, and it's in Africa, which is amazing. Um, and so she starts to learn about her powers, and in the meantime, in her village... Um, there is a serial killer. Uh, well, I guess he's not technically a killer. There's a man kidnapping and like doing maiming children, which is obviously horrible. Um, and she, so this is like in her brain um, as a thing that she's afraid of. And then it becomes connected with her discovery of her magical powers. And so she has to figure out like, what's going to happen? Like, is she a part of a group that's going to save the world? Does she know how to be like a magical person? Like it's a lot of identity stuff. Um, and also a lot of great magical world building. It's just fantastic. And the scene that I just read, they went to sort of this yearly festival and there's like magical games and like a horrible magical gladiator tournament. And it, it, it has all of those elements of immersing yourself into this magical system. Um, that lives just underneath our world uh, that I love so much. So that is Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor. And that's our show. Thank you. hey Thanks so much for listening. Um, Please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your feedback, and it helps other folks to find the show. Thank you to our sponsors, uh, including ourselves. Mm -hmm. Woohoo. You can find me on social media on Tumblr. I'm jenirl.tumblr.com. It's Jen with two N's. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram. Uh, I'm Amanda Nelson because I'm very creative. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll talk to you next time. 